listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. Give me one more shout of praise. Let me know you're loose, ready to go. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, Welcome to Venice Church. If this is your first Sunday, I hope it won't be your last. But today we are in part two of a series that we started last week called Toxic. And today is one of the major reasons why I've been trying to talk God out of preaching this series. Uh, God put this series on my heart over a year ago. Not just this series, but these specific handful of topics. And God has been pushing me and leading me and moving me to teach on this series of issues for over a year now. And I didn't want to do it for a lot of reasons. One of the main reasons why is because we're talking about emotions that are toxic. Emotions that when they take control of your life, when when you get heartjacked by these emotions... It always leads to ruin and disaster. And here's the thing. I told you last week, this is what you need to know about preaching. Whatever topic you preach on, that topic is the topic that the devil messes with you on the entire time you're preparing. I mean, like, like whatever you, it doesn't matter how, how well you think you're doing in that area. It doesn't matter how much you think you've mastered that area. When you begin to teach on it, when God puts it on your heart to preach on it, the devil comes at you with everything. It's like he just centers that attention onto that one area. It's kind of like poking, poking a bruise. I don't even know if that makes sense. It just popped in my head. It's like, you know what, you can poke me anywhere else. It's like, it's like slapping a sunburn. And so, like I, do, like, I don't, and the other thing is, I'm not good at these emotions myself. My entire life, I've struggled with the things that we're talking about. My entire life. I started last week talking about anger. That was fun. But we got to talk about these issues. Because... Proverbs 25, 28. We're going to read this verse every single week. Proverbs 25, 28. Proverbs 25, 28. You ready? Say amen. amen. It says this, like a city that is broken into without, and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. See, again, I, I remind you, like the, the first line of, of protection in this ancient culture was, was a fortified wall around a city. And if that wall was in ruin, then the city was vulnerable. The city was most vulnerable to the attacks of its enemies when the walls were down. And what the scripture is telling us is you're like a city without walls when you don't have control over your emotions. That when you don't have control over your emotions, you are very vulnerable to the attacks of your enemy. And maybe you're new to church, and maybe this is going to freak you out, but you have an enemy. His name is the devil, and he wants to wreck you. Like a city without walls is somebody who can't control his emotions, her emotions. And for me, there are four specific emotions 
that I think I'm watching hijack the lives of people that I love and care about and most often attempt to hijack my own life. And so we got to talk about them because we don't have to be the victim. We don't have to be the victim. Like, we don't have to be. I know, but Matt, I've struggled with it my whole life, and now I'm 53, and I've never been able to get control of it, and I've had just maybe short seasons when I've had victory, but it's always come back, and it's always taken over again. And, like, I'm, I, I'm not sure I can ever be free of this. And see, that's the lie the enemy wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that you have to be victim to that emotion. And my, my Bible tells us we don't have to be. And if the scripture says that we don't have to be, then we don't have to be. And we're not going to be. And so today we've got to talk about, we've got to talk about lust. I don't want to either. <laughs> Twelve years old was the first time I was introduced to pornography. And ever since that day, it takes everything I have every single day not to let it get a hold of my life. And I would bet I'm not alone in the room. I think nine out of 10 guys would tell you they struggle with it and one out of 10 will lie about it. But you know what? I think we've also bought into this is a man-only issue, and it's not. This is a human issue that we struggle with. And my, my goal is not to offend or condemn anybody. I stand up here a man who has struggled with this my entire life. And God is continuing to, have, continuing to have to teach me every single day how to battle this, to keep it from hijacking me again. And so we've got to look honestly at what God's word says about it. And when you look at what God's word says about some of the things that we're going to say about it, it's, it's not comfortable. It's not easy. It's not popular. And I know that there's some things that I'm going to say and some things that God's word is going to say that's going to make you cringe at times. Maybe blush a little at others. But we're going to be real, okay? Come on. Father, I pray today as we look at your word that you would not let me say anything but only you would speak this day that your truth and the power of your word would ring out through this building in a powerful way in Jesus' name. Amen. Because see, we can't talk, we can't have an honest conversation about lust if we don't have an honest conversation about sex first. We can't have an honest conversation about lust if we don't have an honest conversation about lust because the reality is lust is a feeling that when it takes charge will shape your sexual behavior. 
And so if we're going to have an honest conversation about lust, we have to have an honest conversation about sex. And so I want to point you to what God's ideal is on this subject. It's like, what, because if you have conversations about sex, you can get a lot of ideas in our culture and around our world about what is and isn't appropriate, what is and isn't okay, what it is and isn't created to be. But God's word says a lot on the subject. And so can I just read you some passages? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Go to your Bibles. If you, if you get the Vintage app, download the Vintage app. You can pull up a, a notes page. You can follow along with me. All this will be on the screen. Make, maybe you want to at least reference these passages of scriptures because I guarantee you, you're going to need them when you leave this room. Because you know what's funny is? This room really doesn't matter. What happens when you leave it is the true test. And let me tell you something, if you struggle with lust, get ready. Because when you walk out of this building today, the devil knows you just heard the truth about it, and he's going to mess with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. Can I just point out that from the very beginning, from the very establishment of our faith, believers have been wanting to know and longing to know the right answers about this subject. Can you imagine? Paul gets this letter from the Corinthians. Let's see what they're asking. Oh, they're asking about sex. You know what the problem with the church ever since then is we're answering questions ain't nobody's asking. And afraid to answer the ones that we really need to know. Come on, somebody. Amen. I know it's tense in the room, but y'all got to stay a little bit light on me, okay? Do I need to tell some weird joke? <laughs> says, yeah, this ain't a good place for jokes. I can't tell jokes today. He said, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. Verse 2. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife. And each woman have her own husband. The husband should fulfill the wife's sexual needs. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. And the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Verse 5. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you have agreed to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Did you see that? Paul says that the husband should fulfill the sexual needs of the wife and the wife fulfill the sexual needs of the husband. We cannot escape that everywhere God talks about his ideal for sex, his ideal for sex is between a husband and a wife. Between a man and a woman only in the context of marriage. That is God's ideal. From Genesis to Revelation, you just cannot, and you cannot get away from that. You cannot twist it. You cannot manipulate it. You cannot deny it. From Genesis to Revelation, God continues to reveal that his design, his ideal for sex is to be contained to a husband and a wife, a man and a woman in the context of marriage. And I know that's 
makes us all a little bit uncomfortable because many of us in the room have encountered sex in a less than godly ideal context. But that is God's ideal. That is God's design. You also see, go back into the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. This is actually in the Bible. I'm not making this up. This is God's word. Proverbs 5, 15. It says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets? Should your streams of water, should your streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? Verse 21, for your ways are in full view of the Lord. He examines all your paths. Like everywhere you see God talk about this issue in all of Scripture, he always points to his ideal of sex between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. And now there's some people who might be in the room that think that that just doesn't matter. We live in a sinful, broken world, and there's many things of God's ideal that have been shattered and broken and compromised, so why even try? Can I tell you why we should pursue God's ideal? Number one, because we love him. That the, the, the number one reason why we should pursue God's ideal in anything is because we love him and our heart is to please him. Our heart is to be obedient to what he has for us. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Like if you love me, you will pursue the ideal that I have designed. Now, if you're in here and you don't believe in God, and it's not your desire to have a relationship with him, you're, you're, you're not trying to, to live in love like Jesus, you're not trying to be who he's called you to be, then you can live any old way you want. You can. You have, you have the freedom to make that decision. But see, there's a second reason why we need to pursue God's ideal, not just because we love him, but because God's ideal will always be best for us. There's a reason why God designed things the way he did, and it wasn't to keep you from being fulfilled. It wasn't to keep you, it wasn't to make you burn with certain desires. It was because God, everything that God has called sin, he's called sin for a reason, and it's not to limit you or keep you from having fun. They are boundaries to protect your heart and your spirit so that you have the full abundant life that he desires for you and when you step outside of God's ideal in any arena it will always eventually be destructive every time whether it's God's ideal for sex or God's ideal for money or God's ideal for whatever you want to name God has a specific design and he's given us his word and he's given us the spirit so that we could be aware of that ideal and be empowered enough to find it That's why we should pursue God's ideal for the area of sex, because when we pursue God's ideal for sex, it will always be better for us. 
And here's the thing. There's some people in the room that, oh, we shouldn't be talking about sex in church. Sex does not make God blush. He created it. He created it. I think somewhere we get in this point where we're like, sex is from the devil. No, it's not. He created it. And here's a big surprise. He wants you to have it. In his ideal. In his ideal. Because see, here's the thing. This, this is what I need you to know. Sex is a physical act with spiritual repercussions. That's good preaching. Sex is, there's some people think, oh, Matt, why, why, why makes it, it's, it's our culture. It's just sex. It can never be just that. Because God created it for more. Why do you think some of the most wounded people in this room are wounded because of inappropriate, terrible sexual encounters. You meet somebody that's ever been abused in that way, and it's a deeper wound than anything you'll ever encounter. Why? Because of what God created it to be. That alone should be a testament of what God intended for it. Paul talked about it. Look at, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Start with verse 15. It says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually part of, parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it, join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one with her body? For the scriptures say, two are united into one. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and, has, and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. It is a physical act with spiritual repercussions. And so anytime we allow Something that, and see here, because here, here's what lust does. So we, do we all have a good, clear picture of God's ideal for, for sex? Come on. But see, this is what lust, lust abandons God's ideal for our idea. Lust, when it is in charge, when lust takes over, when that emotion, when that feeling, when that craving, when that desire begins to burn in you, and when it takes charge, what you will be willing to do is abandon God's ideal for your idea. What it says is, you know what, I have this feeling, I have this craving, I have this desire, and it's got to be fulfilled. And since I cannot fulfill it in God's ideal, I'll come up with whatever idea I have on my own to make sure I feel satisfied. Am I making sense? That's what lust does. And that's why it's dangerous. Because when it takes, it's just like, like, like anger. And see, emotions are usually symptoms of a legitimate need. Like, it's, it's a legitimate need that you have that desire in you. Because this is what sometimes people say, well, well, why do I have this need if God, why don't God let me have this need if I can't pursue it? You can pursue it, just not your way. God's not saying that thing can't be fulfilled. 
He's saying it can't be fulfilled the way you want it to be fulfilled. Because you know why? Fulfilling it that way will actually not lead to fulfillment. It just won't. See, when you try to fulfill a, when you try to fill a legitimate need in an inappropriate way, it will always still leave you empty. Always. And what lust does when it comes in, it says, you know what? I'm not in a position to fulfill this desire and God's ideal, so I'm going to have to come up with my own idea of how to fulfill that craving. So it's okay. We're committed to each other. I think we'll be together forever. Let's just have sex. It's just pornography. I'm not hurting anyone. It's better than cheating on my spouse. It's not a new concept. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and created things Worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. You see that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. What it says is they got to this point when their emotions were so in charge, when what they burned for began to just take such control over them that they were willing to abandon God's ideal for their own idea of how they could fulfill that need. Because that is what lust does. Ephesians 4, 19. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against them. In other words, they just got to this point where they just shut God down. Like, and you know what? Can I be really honest? Thank you. I think there's something deep in us that knows this. Because see, you were created by God. You were created in his image. You were formed by him. And there's something in your spirit that knows God's ideal. But when we allow these things and these temptations and these emotions to take control, it just allows us to throw all that stuff out of the window. Not because we don't know it, but because something other than God is in control. And so we pursue it and we chase it. Verse 19, they have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. So what happens is we begin to just abandon God's ideal for our idea because lust just takes over. That feeling, that desire creeps up in our spirits, and the enemy knows how and when to leverage these times
And again, there's some people in the room, you're thinking, you know what? Okay, I agree with that. You know what? But the problem is, so many people, it's crazy how much pornography has a grip on our culture. You know, 36% of all the internet is sexual in nature. Just let, let 30, oh, 30%, that's, that's, that's not even half, Matt. 36% of the entire internet, of all the stuff that is online. And I just want to remind you what Matthew says, the words of Jesus. You have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. Verse 28, but I say to you, who, anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That you can commit adultery and never physically touch another person. That's what Jesus is saying. So we got to deal with it, okay? We got to deal with it. Because it's real. And I'm, I've watched it destroy people. I've watched it destroy people's marriages. I've watched it destroy people's lives. I've, wa- I've watched it consume people. And you know what? You're battling it constantly. I know you are. I am. So I, I think we've established that, all right, this is an important thing, that what God's ideal is, is, is his ideal for a reason. And if your heart, if your desire is to pursue God's ideal, then you have to find a way to have victory over lust. And so the question is, all right, like, how do we do that? Like, all right, Matt, you got me. I know that's God's ideal, and, and I haven't hit it. I've messed up. And right now, all I'm feeling is a whole bunch of shame and guilt. And my purpose in being here today is not to get you to wallow in guilt, but to become unwavering into your commitment about what you're going to do as you go forward. You cannot change what you have done. I would submit to you that probably every person in this room, at some point in our lives, we have fallen short in this area. There have been moments and my goal isn't to get you, because see, that's what the enemy wants you to do with this message is just to wallow in your shame. To be offended or guilty or frustrated or mad. or so, like, But I think the Holy Spirit has put this on our hearts to talk about today because God is ready to give us victory over it. To speak into our hearts and to change something in us and help us move forward. And so how are we going to do it? I mean, I, I'm going to give you three things. Will you conceal or confess? You got two choices. Will you conceal it? Will you continue to just pretend like this is not an issue for you? So you can walk out of here, and if this is an issue with with you, just kind of think, man, that was a good sermon for somebody. You can conceal it. You can hide it. Because you can get really good at hiding it. Nobody knows. Nobody will ever know. I've got this rhythm down. I've got this good way now of, 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 of concealing what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. 
to where nobody will ever find out about it. So I'm just going to keep on. See, it's th- this sin is the most difficult one to break loose from, especially if you're struggling with the issue of pornography because you can get really good at keeping it a secret and nobody ever really knowing. And the enemy's like, yes. The only way you can step forward is to stop trying to conceal it and confess it. Like every other one of these emotions that we're going to talk about, you will only experience victory if you're willing to be transparent. 1 John 1, 8 and 9, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you see that promise? Maybe you've heard me say this before. Concealment will always be more dangerous than confession. You can conceal it or you can confess it. Acts 3, 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So you're not confessing so people can judge you and browbeat you and beat you over the head. Welcome to a church where you have freedom to be real about what you struggle with because you can only move forward if you're willing to deal with it now. The first, you cannot get to where you want to go if you're not honest about where you are. Confess or conceal. Second thing is this. Make the choice to linger or leave. You can keep lingering in those places that fuel your lusts. See, that's how lust, lust gets us when we make the decision to linger. We stay in the place all alone where we have unlimited access to the internet and we know temptation is strong. You can linger or leave. When you're in the basement with your girlfriend or boyfriend and your parents aren't gonna be home for five hours and you know things are starting to turn up a notch, you can linger or you can leave. You can stay in the gym when somebody walked in that catches your eye that is not your spouse and you notice your eyes continue to move in that direction. You can linger or you can leave. 1 Corinthians 6.18, run from sexual sin. Run. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your body. Run. Bible, some of your translators might say flee. In other words, get the heck out. Yes, I'm serious. Well, I just got here. Who cares? We well, already paid for the ticket. It don't matter. Like you don't, when you linger is when it gets you. Oh, I'm strong enough. No, you're not. Do you know how many times this issue has gotten me in my life when I convinced myself I'm strong enough to deal with that? And the devil's like, hee. Are you not? Pay attention to what what you let your eyes see. Because lust always begins with a look. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Like, what are you letting your eyes see? You can linger, you can leave. You keep lingering instead of leaving, and it's going to get the best of you. The last thing is this. You can be alone or you can be accountable. If you try to battle this issue alone, you will not win. If you don't have the courage to speak this struggle into the life of somebody that you deeply trust, you will never have victory. That's why it says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. You can be alone or you can be accountable, but if you try to continue to fight this battle all by yourself and all alone, you will never win. I can't, Matt. Who can I tell? I'm so embarrassed. You can probably tell somebody who's struggled with it just like you have. And if we've created a culture within our church that we can't be honest about our struggles with the people that are around us in a safe, loving kind of way, then we're failing as a church. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. It's a difficult topic to figure out how to get you to respond. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come to the altar. If you feel led to do any of those things, you follow the Spirit's lead. But I just want to challenge you with those three questions. You going to keep concealing it or you going to confess it? And right now, if you struggle with this issue, issue it's, time to, it's time to just confess it to the Lord. Your Heavenly Father is waiting for you with open arms to respond in love. Here's the thing. He already knows. <laughs> I'll tell you what. He knew it. He saw it. He knew that you were going to do it before you were born, and He still died for you. You can conceal it or you can confess it. Maybe there's some places that you've been choosing to linger that you need to now leave. You need to be more aware of that situation and those surroundings. And finally, you got to stop trying to fight it alone. Will you find somebody before the end of this day that will have the courage to keep you accountable? I tell you what, find somebody. Find somebody. You need to go to somebody and say, hey, I'm struggling with this issue. Will you keep me accountable? Because I cannot battle it alone. Before this day is out, you need to call somebody up, have a conversation, and start having victory. And again, I say to everybody in the room who the enemy right now is trying to get you to wallow in shame because you know very well that you missed the mark. Can you just ask God forgives you and gives you the strength to move forward? We're going to walk forward together. We're going to walk forward knowing that God, as we move forward, can give us the strength to overcome. Don't wallow in shame. Because every one of us could. Because I would submit not a single person in this room has hit God's ideal in this issue their whole lives. Not a single one.
And we're all battling this together. And together, through the power of the Spirit, we can surrender to Him, pursue His ideal, and live the way He's called us to live, victorious and free, and giving Him all honor and glory. Father, I pray right now, as we spend this time worshiping, that you would move us forward in this. That God, all, all guilt and shame will do is keep us stuck. But God, through conviction and in the power of your Holy Spirit and through the forgiveness and love that you offer us, we allow you to wash us white as snow, to cleanse us of all our iniquities. And God, we move forward with our eyes on you and the power of your Spirit. And we claim victory today over this issue. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and worship with us. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.